You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I am glad you are here. It's another beautiful day, and I'm here surrounded by my good friends all the way up in Baltimore, Maryland. You got Jeffrey Simpson. Howdy, howdy. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, you got Delmar Pete. It's so cold. It's like 50. <laughs> and uh, in Florida, by himself, is Andrew Larson. It is a blustery 82 degrees here today. So I've got the AC on in my office, but I also have the uh, office door open so it doesn't get too cold in the office. But, <laughs> man, weather, right? Yeah. Tim is on assignment, but we are together and we are excited. Hey, how was y'all's weekend? We brought back the choir. So it actually went really well. Like Christmas and choirs and red and green. It was uh it was actually a really cool week. And it was neat because um it brings back some of those people who uh I guess they grew up with that. And on our side of town, that's a that's kind of a big deal. So it was a good weekend. I took my kid up to Detroit of all places. Because he was supposed to go on a birthday trip in September and we were going to go see a baseball game. But then I got COVID and he got COVID, so we couldn't go in September. So we had to reuse our airplane tickets within 90 days. We went up to Detroit in mid-December with no agenda, which is what you should never do. But it was spectacular. Good. You have family up there or something? No, we we only went there because it was where the Rays were playing on his birthday weekend. Um, but then we couldn't actually go, so we uh, we went to a a ski resort place where they blow in fake snow, and he thought it was real. Nice. And we went and made sure we were all vaxxed and had the correct information so that we could cross into Canada. So we spent a day just driving around uh, driving around Ontario, which it turns out I had Florida plates on my rental car. So as someone who's grown up in Florida, when you see Ontario plates, you know they're driving like a crazy person and they don't know what they're doing because they can't do the math to get the speed limit right. And then I spent five hours trying to do the math in my head yeah. of how many kilometers is, you know, is this and changing lanes erratically. And it was it was a wonderful time with father and son and then finished a sermon on the plane and landed Saturday night and preached Sunday morning. Did you get some Tim Hortons while you're up there? I did. It was mediocre. It yeah. wasn't as it wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, but better. And it was Dunkin' Donuts, but worse. I almost bought the Justin wow. Bieber Tim Hortons fanny pack, though, and then I realized <laughs> oh, that I was almost fo- I was also almost forty years old, and I should. <laughs> I, well, I Justin Bieber's older too. You can you can grow with him. No, not happening. Okay. Nah. <laughs> Uh, we had a we had a, a weekend was a little weird because um, we had a couple deaths of family members in the church this week, so it got uh, you know it was I was like I woke up Sunday morning feeling just kind of sad, and uh, I had to pick somebody up late from late on Saturday night from the airport, and then uh, later that so I picked them up from the airport around eleven. After I dropped them off and everything, I only live about fifteen minutes from uh, BWI, so. Uh, that's nice, but I dropped them off in Baltimore City, drove back home. It was like 11.30, 11.40, uh, you know, got in the house, got ready for bed, everything, got in, uh, and as I'm like laying there about to go to sleep, 
I hear this big boom outside. And I was like, asked my wife, did you hear that? And she was like, I think it was, we have these like speed humps on the road right out in front of us. And sometimes if a semi goes real fast and hits that, it'll make a pretty big noise. And she said, I think that's what it was. And I said, that sounded like an explosion. So I looked out at my bedroom window and there was like a fireball in the woods. Uh, What I thought was the woods next to the elementary school that's across the street from our house. So I called 911 and, you know, was like, there's a fire in the woods. At that point, I'm thinking teenagers doing something silly maybe they threw gas on a fire and it got out of hand and but it was like the fire was growing and you could see flashes like little explosions happening and what i didn't realize until later so i got off the phone with them they said we already have three or four calls we're out there so i so you know i'm gonna i saw people starting to gather in the street so i threw my jacket on went outside and um you know ended up as i got around the road kind of curves as i got around the corner there's a one building of an apartment complex that sits across the street from the main complex. And in the back side of that building, which is what I couldn't see from the bedroom, a car had exploded and was like on fire. And oh, so wow. like I heard the boom of the gas tank exploding. And then, you know, as I'm standing there, the fire trucks roll up and I'm telling people like, Hey, if you need a place to sit, cause when I first walked up, I thought the building was on fire. So I'm telling people that are like kind of running away from the scene. If you need a place to sit, I'll open the church building up. There's a lot of like women running with children away from this building. So it ended up being the building was, I mean, the car was parked in the parking lot right next to the building, but the building was okay. But um, it was crazy. I've never seen a car like fully engulfed in flames before. And the thing is like, I don't know what happened or what caused it, but uh, I mean, cars don't just light on fire in a parking lot. So yeah, they're not supposed to do that. Yeah. So I don't know. But what was crazy is like watching the firemen. They put out the fire. You know, it it was the size of like a big bonfire. Hmm. But you could tell it was the gas tank because it was on one side of the tank, and they put it out like six times, and it would go out, and then it would just come right back. Uh, so it was it was kind of crazy. Uh, but that was Saturday night, and then Sunday morning, you know, I was kind of dragging, and then we had a bunch of people sick. We had a, so it was just one of those Sundays. Where you're just kind of like, man, a little down. So I feel great today, but um, I, uh, I, Dell knows how this is. I preached this past weekend, so that was that hey. was my weekend. I focusing on my actually before that, I did a wedding too. So I did a wedding on Saturday, and I preached on Sunday, and uh, and uh, you know we got to kick off our Christmas series. Um, uh, I I don't think I've talked about it in the podcast, but um, if you're in the DYM Facebook group, you probably saw Ronald Long t- share that thing about the Santa, the inflatable Santa, uh, for like you know, uh, twenty six foot Santa for forty dollars or something like that. And because he shared that link, a bunch of pastors got scammed because uh, it it wasn't real or whatever. Well, I was one of those pastors that got scammed too because I thought I bought I bought one and I, and. We just ended up with like a stuffed Santa or whatever, and so uh, the the Lord provided a good illustration for my. I think you need to make that stuffed Santa the picture for your pod the podcast. You know, this week it would make sense. You were bamboozled. Yeah, I was bamboozled. I got scammed, but it was a good intro for my sermon, and and we get to blame Ronald, which is always fun. Yeah, Yeah. Ronald felt really bad about that. I saw a lot. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. I love that guy. (laughs) Ronald, we, uh, we, I think you're listening. Thank you so much for uh, for scamming me. Hey, um, with that being said, we Dude, are – Frank, hold on. You just reminded me of something when you say in your illustration. This week I was talking about Advent and how it's like expectation. 
And you know how you have things in your notes, like illustrations in your notes, and then just kind of like as you're preaching, you think of an illustration, and you just go, you ever, you know, yeah, you do the thing where sure. you just go with it. Well, I did that it. this week, and it was kind of a flop because I basically called the congregation dogs. Ouch. Because <laughs> because I said, you know, Advent expectation <laughs> is like when you get home and the dog starts getting excited even before you get out of the car. That's how we are expecting, you know, Advent. <laughs> and and, and then afterwards, people were Dogs. coming up to me and were like, are you saying that I'm like a dog? And I was like, you know, I just I don't think I thought that one through all the way. I just kind of <laughs> went with it. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, um, well, uh, you know what? It's not a scam. The uh, Pride League Pastoring Conference. We are excited oh. because on February 21st to the 23rd, Pride League Pastoring Conference is happening in Tarpon Springs, Florida. Andrew, what's the temperature right now? Down there? Uh, about 82. Hang on. Let me check on my phone. It's, I mean, so it's, it's, it, oh, yeah. Exactly. 82. That was impressive. That time it's, of year, it'll, it'll, enough, it might be just like 70. It might be like yeah. 74, 75. Yeah. Yeah. So think about where you live in February 21st to the 23rd. I know here in Wisconsin, it is blistering cold. It is and the so dead to, of winter. Yeah. So to be in the 70s sounds amazing. You haven't seen uh, the sun for like four weeks. Yep. It's dark at five o'clock and Christmas lights, Christmas lights have been gone for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so everything is just dark at night. And there's the only thing you might see is a few weirdos putting Valentine's Day lights out. <laughs> yep. But well, that's I, it. I we're being in Milwaukee. I meant Detroit. Same thing as far as I'm concerned. But listen, it was so weird being up there because you, like, I had to put my sunglasses on from like, 11 o'clock until two o'clock and by 2 30 <laughs> in the afternoon i had to, i put my sunglasses away because there's just no need for them anymore yeah, yeah like, it's dark I, and it, you like no, you put a jacket on and you actually just leave it on yeah, yeah I, I told melissa I'm like i don't think that people live up there are better at dealing with cold than we are they just have they just wear big jackets everywhere yeah, everybody's everywhere. wearing a parka all the time and as a floridian i'm like man no wonder these people are so unhappy and they keep moving to Florida and driving up my property value. So well, come to Florida, everybody. It's a great place. February 21st to 23rd, Tarpon Springs, Florida. Go to practicallypastoringconference.com. I know there might be some uh, kids pastors and kids directors listening to this podcast today because of our um, main discussion. And you are invited as well. We want – if you pastor people – who wants you at this conference? Yeah, that's good clarification because we've been saying if you have the title pastor, we want you there. But if you're in a pastoral role, yes, and you don't, yes. and maybe you're you're called director or minister or something, we still want you there. Exactly. So thepartlypastorconference.com. We want you there. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive into the metaverse. We'll be right back. Can't wait. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We're back, and we are going to talk about the metaverse. So, uh, as we, as you may or may not know, um, 
Mark Zuckerberg has announced that the new name for the Facebook company is Meta, and he has a vision for a metaverse where people work, play, and I guess live in the metaverse. Um, Facebook or Meta now also owns the Oculus, which is the uh, probably tool of choice to enter into the metaverse. I'm not going to lie. I'm still a little bit confused about it. I know before we got on the show, Delmar was raving about how stoked he is about the metaverse and about vr and stuff like that but there is a the future is meta those are those exact words it's meta (laughs) there's an instagram post that came out uh i I think it was today uh from craig rochelle where uh you see that the live church and of course they are they're in the metaverse i'm I'm actually not surprised at all that they're probably some of the pioneers of church in the metaverse but uh, there's a video and a couple images of, of it seems like a group of people in the metaverse in a theater or I guess a campus of Life Church um, watching Craig Rochelle preach. And in the last, and I, I've linked this in the show notes, the last video is Craig giving a gospel, uh, like an altar call. And, um, and you hear the campus pastor kind of talking to the congregation, you know, pray this prayer, raise your hand if you're giving your life to Christ. Pray this prayer after Craig and 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 I just want to say it's weird. Am I am I right in saying it's weird? You are like one hundred thousand. You know, this is the kind of stuff. Okay, sorry, you, you tapped into it. I love VR. All right, I have PSVR. I've had it for a while. I'm getting Oculus. Um, I totally get it. I see how the definition of community is changing. I don't know if you're aware, but like on Oculus, there's literally this thing called VR chat. And all you do is you get in VR and talk to people. You walk around, go to different planets, quote unquote, and talk. I totally get it. My brother lives in Florida, um, actually probably about 10 minutes from Disney. And like sometimes we'll get on VR just to kind of like oddly like digitally be around each other. You can, there's, um, there's several games you could throw darts or whatever. Anyways, all that to say. I love VR. I think it's doing some cool things, but I also think, man, the church has to be really careful about how we step into this because like how many times does the church step into the culture and then we assimilate the culture and make it hokey? You know what I'm saying? Like I think about like one of the things that's really near and dear to me is like quality shirts. Like, you know, like if you were to, for example, if you were to maybe go to wreckwretch.com, there'd be some really cool quality Christian shirts there, right? But I know you remember when um, shirts first started coming out, they would have like the Pepsi Cola logo and it'd be like Jesus Cola. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, stay. And like your grandpa would buy it for you because he's like, oh, it's Jesus Cola. But like no one else thought that was cool. Like, I think we have to be careful with the metaverse, how Christians enter it, that we're not going into the culture to adapt it like but we need to go in there and do what christ always does changes it from the inside out be unique in it but um i think one of the worst things we could do is just to take that same consumeristic mentality to the metaverse and say here just sit plop it down you know click enter if you accepted jesus right but like you can enter the metaverse in a place that's not consumeristic I know that because like I said, in VR, there's a lot of people who are on there trying to add value and like people log on every night. I think, um, was it Tim today in the group chat said, or one of you guys said, you've watched games in VR, like, like professional sport games. Right. Um, so like I've done the same. So I think entering it is wise 
how we enter it, I think we need to enter it very wise and not like we did enter the t-shirt venue in the 80s and 90s. Um, but yes, I, and I think it would be cool to have a healthy conversation in our um, on our online Facebook group about this because I think there's a lot of people interested. Right now, there is a church that's raising money to purchase a spaceship venue for their congregation so they can gather online on Sundays. And at first, I'm like, that's crazy. But then in the second hand, I'm like, well, NFTs are a thing now. Like whether we like it or not, where you purchase something and it only exists digitally. Um, and that's a thing. And people are going to show up there. And, I, you know, as as crazy as it may sound, and I know a lot of you have seen this, if you want a good idea of what the metaverse could be, that Ready Player One is very close to what they're aspiring to do if you've not seen it. But you and know that's, you te- that's terrifying, right? Oh, oh like, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I, it's I read like the a book. dystopian future. Yeah, I read the book and I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I'm teasing. You. I know you know that. Uh, oh, yeah, um, I know. I, I watched, I read the book before I watched the movie because it was the only, like, I was just really stoked about the concept of it. And the scary thing is, I can definitely see us getting there. And the metaverse definitely sounds like that. Or a place where kids go to school in the metaverse. Uh, people work in the metaverse and things like that. And it's like, we kind of already see examples of that during COVID of like, of that. But, but one thing I'm just more and more kind of afraid of, like, I love the technology. I think it's neat. I do think that some of the stuff I've seen in the metaverse, even the clip of this church, the, the actual, like the avatars of the people and the colors and the images looks like we're stepping back in the time. Like it's like, the we, <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, if, yeah, it feels yeah. like a, a Nintendo Wii character. Like, well, I feel like I, I just got call of duty, uh, Vanguard, <laughs> And the graphics and, and that are just like spectacular. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, did Nintendo like the well, Nintendo Wii make this? Like, so to just- be fair, have you ever if you if you've ever done VR? Okay, anybody who's listening has done VR, you get this. You can literally put Minecraft on VR, and it's amazing because it's it's not necessarily the graphics; it's the scale of the graphics. Like when I'm looking at an avatar, and it is the same size as actual Frank in my eyes. Like, even if the graphics are poor at this level of VR, like, there's a lot of forgiveness in that space. But as they continue, to your point, that's going to have to improve. I will say, Frank, to your point, we we did it on COVID. The worst thing, I hate sitting in a Zoom call. Other than when you guys, I love y'all. And technically, this is Zencaster. But, you know, when you're on Zoom, how much of the time are you spent, especially if you have to have your camera on? Looking at your, it's, it's fatiguing, right? It's exhausting. But if I can hide behind an avatar, you can double and triple my amount of time around you because it's literally a representative of me. So I'm not having to make sure my face is being held right or whatever. You have an avatar. The bad thing is this. Um, just like anything, people can become way too obsessed with the avatars. Have any of you ever heard of like, like D&D where somebody's character would get killed and then like, they literally would go into depression back in the day. Like as we continue to move into the space, people are going to become increasingly attached to this digital representation of themselves. So not only are we going to have more uh, ministry opportunities, we're going to have more people who are just living in a space that we don't even comprehend yet. So there's going to be ministry opportunities for helping people deal with all the baggage that comes through I got to take care of my avatar today and purchase some pink glasses for, you know, entering, you know, cyberspace on the metaverse. 
But anyways, it's fascinating. I think there's a lot of good that can come, um, but not at the expense of just double click to receive Jesus because some 12 year old was checking out the metaverse. And now I count that as we led someone to Christ. I think what's important to remember is that this is not for everyone. Life Church is not saying, hey, we're moving our church uh, to the metaverse. This is, and this is something that they've done before, way back in the day, like what, 2008, 2007? Life Church had a Second Life campus. And I remember when that was crazy as well. And that lasted for three or four years. And you know, was, was it kind of gimmicky? Sure. But when you have a church staff the size of Life Church staff of Life Church's church staff, you can say to one person who knows this stuff, hey, Sunday morning, do you want to be the person who is the host of the meta room? I don't know, you know, meta auditorium, however they're phrasing it. They're not trying to reach everybody that way. They're trying to reach the people that are in the space that way. The same way that having a sports ministry at your church is not for the 65-year-old uh, ladies in the knitting club. The sports ministry is for the people that like sports. I think that is what Life Church is trying to do and is trying to do. But also, we're we're living in a brave new world. Uh, Perry Noble, who is not someone that I don't think we're trying to model ministries after, but when he launched uh, Second Chance Church a couple years ago, he launched that church from an iPhone in his living room. They did Facebook Live only with you know no soundboard, no nothing but an iPhone and a living room wall. And now that church is reaching a thousand or 1200 people every weekend. So to discount something to say, Oh, that's gimmicky or that's cheesy. I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. And it's also kind of neat that it's not happening in some coastal city. This is not, you know, coastal elites doing this, not the people that you would think of at a Google campus or whatever. This is happening in Edmonds, Oklahoma. This is a middle America church doing this. So if a church in Oklahoma can pull this off, then who knows what that means for the rest of the world. I, I think this is really interesting. I'm not into VR at all. I haven't played video, even like video games for like multiple years. Um, and even when I did, I was never really super a gamer. So this has always been kind of a peripheral thing for me. But um, Andrew, you just said something interesting before I get into what I was going to say. And that is that, you know, he started this campus with just an iPhone and now they're reaching this many people. And I think what you said is is true. Like we shouldn't discount it. But I, I also would say I would push back on that a little bit and say we also shouldn't legitimize it because of a certain number of people that are necessarily being reached or not reached. No, you're you're absolutely right. And, and but, I, I don't think you were but, intending but, but to do to that. Say, I'm just saying I think you have to be consistent on both sides. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But to say like so whenever second chance church started we could say oh that's not a real church that's a guy right. preaching into an iphone in his living room but now we would say no, no no that's certainly a real church there's a brick and mortar there's a children's ministry there's a small group ministry right people are getting saved that is an actual church it's not just oh let's check in on this guy online but it is a functioning new testament church yeah i don't think you can dismiss it offhand and i also don't think you can just on numbers alone legitimize whether something is or is not a church. Delmar, you know, go ahead. I can see you. Yeah, if you watch the video, like like Frank said, it's super cringe how they did the gospel presentation. But may we not forget that like in-person churches do the same thing. Yeah, I you mean, know? I've been a part of so many cringe in-person like, gospel I, I mean, presentations. There too, is a... Where um, people got saved. Exactly. Well, or in my state, there is a large 
multi-campus church operation. That's all I'm going to say. And my friend went there and at the end in the parking lot, he was struggling with some stuff. So like he just broke down and started crying, had nothing really to do with the service, but someone comes up to him. One of the volunteers was like, so like, uh, so he was emotional and basically through a conversation ended up marking down that he received Christ that day. And he gets a letter in the mail. We're so glad you found church, um, found Jesus at this church or whatever. And like they counted him down as a salvation. Um, and it had nothing to do with that. So I think that like, if we're going to throw shade at meta, then we have to throw shade at what we got going on in mm-hmm. like real life as well. Yeah. And I think my point is, um, you know, Marshall McLuhan, who's a sociologist from like the sixties, he had this famous saying that the medium is the message. Um, it's something I studied at the end of my time in college, just kind of the effect of, I studied the effect of, uh, electronic media on our spiritual formation. And obviously I think this is going to be a huge, this is the next iteration of that. Um, what, what does this actually do? Cause to say that, well, we're just preaching the gospel in a new space and it doesn't change the gospel is just inherently not true. It does change what the gospel that you're communicating actually is. For instance, we're communicating a gospel that is right now, this time of year, we're, we're talking all about incarnation, God becoming flesh. So how are we doing that in this disembodied environment? And what is that saying about that doctrine? And you could, you could have made the same argument 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when we started putting preachers on screens. Whenever, you know, whenever we start, it's the same thing. It's just another iteration. Maybe it's one more step down the rabbit hole deeper. Um, and then the other question I would have is, is this to me is the next progression down the line of, again, like, you know, using screens to um, preach and, and all that stuff. And I'm not against it, but I just want to, it's just a question worth asking if we are also constantly hearing about how, you know, how many times are you hearing, well, this or that problem with the evangelical American church boils down to a discipleship issue. That's, I mean, that's the bell that's been rung for the last 10 or 15 years. And at the same time, parallel with that, we're moving further and further into this world of disembodied communication. To me, there has to be some connection between the two. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but just as a pastor of a small local church in a poor neighborhood, like this is not even on my radar because half the people I'm trying to reach don't even have high speed internet access. So like this doesn't, wouldn't even matter to me and it wouldn't affect my ministry. And that, but that doesn't mean I don't think other people shouldn't pursue it So or like, that I think it's bad. No, to your point. Okay. So like, that's all the reason why I think there needs to be more grounded godly people in this metaverse space because if not who's gonna go to it first you know it's it's going to be um the 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 lakewood joel osteen type who have money just to chuck at it it's it really i think this necessitates a pause you know and obviously it requires resources because like we were talking about you have to purchase space in it now you can't just roll into it but you know I think I don't, I wouldn't want to just advocate that or it becomes another TBN. Well, but here's how I would maybe like, this is what my brain's thinking right now. Yeah. I think you can make the same argument for, you know, prosperity type of theology that there are going to people who are going to, there are going to be people who are going to do that. So some of us should get into that space to make sure. And it's like, 
I can't control false teaching when it's going to happen. So uh, that's not a motivation for me to try to do something that if I think is inherently flawed, Mm. which I probably lean towards the side of like this type of thing makes me feel, you know, we had this conversation when we were talking about communion during the pandemic. Right. So like that to me, there's like an inherent flaw with that. That's, that seems antithetical to embodied incarnational ministry. Oh, I don't yeah. want to write it off because I just I have I don't have enough information or experience with VR, mm-hmm. and I do think you can be present with someone online, which because I think we're doing that right now. Although I also would think that we would all agree this isn't the same thing as if we were sitting in a room together. Jeff, it sounds you're using the word embodied a little too much. It sounds like you're reading like way too much Dallas Willard or something. <laughs> but uh, but no, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I uh, you know I'm actually I like. Kind of agree. I don't kind of agree. I fully agree with Jeff. I, I feel I actually, tension. I feel tension on this. Yeah, I don't yeah. want. I don't want to be a fundamentalist and outright say this is wrong or evil and this is bad and it could never be used. Because obviously, well, that's fair. Could. And you know, to go back to the conversation we were having two years ago, I, I'm, I'm a. This should not be a replacement for your fellowship. Absolutely not. Well, I, I guess interesting but, to me too. Even in this clip that we have, Craig Rochelle is not a avatar. Yeah, like right. the avatars are watching a person on a screen. Yeah, right and, now, <laughs> and I think that like, like, uh, like I don't know, man. I don't know if it's because I'm becoming this like, if I'm becoming older and age, like the you know, what is Ecclesiastes says like the, the more, more wisdom you get, the more grief you have, or something like that. Yeah. But like, but like ultimately, as as I think about this, I think about the what the pandemic has done to people and how lonely people are. Yep, and deeper into more disembodied, siloed individuals where they're not having personal contact in a world where men are addicted to pornography and like and like and women are getting just as addicted to pornography and like people are becoming very very lonely and and isolation only increases these unhealthy situations are not going to do well now we. There's nothing we can do to stop progress. Like VR was always going to be a thing. Like this was like a dream. Like 15 years. No, like think about it, 20 years ago when you used to have the Nintendo Boy sets with the with those goggles on. Like VR was always bound to happen. But the yeah. question there used is- to be a show on after Power Rangers <laughs> called VR Troopers. Let me tell you, yeah. it was terrible. Yeah. It, but when it, it was a terrible. The graphics show. look pretty much the same as this video. I'm seeing, <laughs> For real. Right? <laughs> you know, Del Del posed the question of like, you know, what if this, um, what if the two people who gave their life to Christ were just like twelve year old trolls? And and to my response, that that could be the case, or it could be genuine. One thing I've always been remembering is like in Bible college, I had a professor, one of my favorite professors in Bible college, got saved by reading the book Late Great Planet Earth. Like that's mm. how he got saved, and, and I always remember that like, if you could read Late Great Planet Earth and come to Christ, then like. God, God don't use anybody to get saved. Like I don't. I think, I think, definitely- I think what Delmar said. It like it's harder to do to be a twelve year old troll in a room with other people. That's that, right. that's inherently a different thing. Incarnational ministry it does change things. Yeah, it's harder to be a twelve year old troll in that room with other people, but it's easier to get into that room if you're an avatar. Yeah. The the people that were going to to meta church. We're not getting up and driving in their cars to go to Life Church. They went yeah. to Life Church because, oh, hey, it's on Meta. This is a front door situation. This is not a discipleship plan. So, and who knows? Maybe, 
Maybe they're going to have even, a small group that sits around and plays darts on meta. I don't know. But <laughs> but here's they, what but they it's a front door. It's not a discipleship strategy yet. But is it a good front door? Is I think the question well, under the question okay, because so, so here's what you you said some earlier Dell that I think is interesting. Hmm. And I think you were saying like this kind of thing could be more attractive to certain people because they don't have to, you know, it's not fatiguing. It's just an avatar. You don't even have to hold your face attention. And I'm sitting here asking, but that's not what we want. We don't, I, I'm not interested in doing ministry with people who are only half paying it. Like that, to me, I'd, that, that, that doesn't, you know what I'm saying? That doesn't make me say, ooh, I want to reach those people. No, that you makes- just, you just tied a bow exactly around with me, you and Frank. Like this is, I'm, I was saying that's why people do like it. But to, to everyone's collective point here is that doesn't make it okay. Right. Um, where I would see, I, I have internal conflict, as I'm sure many do, because it's like, cool, the gospel's getting out, right? And also, cool, like the entrepreneurial side of me is like, this is fascinating. It's like we discovered America all over again. The whole, we have developed a whole new space, you know? But then there's another part of me that's like, okay, but it's not real, you know? And, and it's like discovering America, except you're still in Europe, you know? And we have to be cognizant of that. Right now, the best I could see a metaverse situation happening, at least in the, in the near future, would be almost in the same reference as to where a, um, a parachurch organization works. Like parachurch organizations fall apart if they're not funneling people to the church, right? There's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who um, have partnered with parachurches, be it FCA or Young Life or whatever. And once those organizations have a healthy relationship with the church, basically we treat it like that organization is the ambulance and the church is the hospital, Right. So like in in regards to the metaverse, that's what I'm more partial to. Hey, listen, this is an ambulance, but like this is not the final place. Um, The final place is we're going to we need to get you plugged into a place where you're not behind an avatar. So when you're when there are tears in your face, someone can see them and ask you what's wrong and breathe the gospel into that instead of just an avatar. But I think we have to realize somehow this is going to be forced into the Christian ecosphere. I just don't so, know how you get there. I mean, you remember the yeah. old youth ministry adage, how you get them, how you keep them. What you keep them. I, I don't know, you know how that's you transition somebody from yeah, – Yeah, that, that's what I – Now, maybe I, I'm totally open that I'm wrong about yeah. this. Like, may, I would love to hear the stories. And I, I don't, frankly, I need to go experience this for myself before I really have an opinion. I just – Based on you know the stuff I've studied as far as electronic media, this seems like the next iteration, and it's even further disembodied. So I just, I, I just, I wonder about it. I, if, and for me, it's if, like it's not. I'm not reaching anybody with this in in my neighborhood, which is what I'm right. interested in doing. Well, I'm with you. You know, the the 75 year old ladies that attend Safety Harbor Community Church are not going to be doing things this way. Just like I'm not reaching musicians in my neighborhood because they're I. There's no music scene here. I'm not putting on concerts yeah. at my church to reach people. But it's, like, it's not a thing. But can can discipleship happen without being face to face? And I think yeah, if discipleship can't happen face to face or can happen cannot happen if you're not face to face, then why did Paul write his letters? Yeah. You know, why why Which is a technology. Which is which is tech pen and paper is as much technology then 
And you can make an argument it disembodies yeah. Paul from Timothy, but yet he's instructing it, him and writing to him. Exactly. Agree. So I'm I'm not saying that the cheesy, you know, what, what we saw on Craig Rochelle's Instagram this morning, and I'm not just defending him because he's a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church either. But Hey-o. uh hey, what up, covchurch.org? Okay. Uh, <laughs> um <laughs> it, it is. But to say that discipleship can't happen in that space, I think gives way like you know, the, the you have to assume that the people in that space are high schoolers, they're college students, they're people that yeah. have done their entire last two years of their education in that space. Yeah. That is how they're with their peers. That is how they receive instructions from teachers. So can't you can't assume that discipleship can't be done that way if they are doing every other type of learning and instruction in that same way. And, and if they are 12-year-old trolls. And it makes us uncomfortable, but it's not for us. And if they are 12-year-old trolls, they can have their mind changed while they're trying to troll. I mean— Yep. Or else the gospel isn't as powerful as we say it is. So I and and to and to flip myself sort of, I mean, the guys they're doing it. They're trying it. I you know, it's not me. I'm not I'm not gonna try that, but I mean I give them credit. I mean, they're in a space where this is weird and maybe it's not gonna work, but hey, we're gonna do it. I like that kind of innovation. But I'm also not going to try a hip hop ministry at my church because you got to know who you are and the people you're trying to reach. But he's got—I mean, Craig Rochelle's that, that, got the—he's got the team around him to try to pull this off, though. Yeah, and what they would yeah. tell you is, well, they're not trying to reach the person one corner over. This metaverse nope. can be people in Japan. Like this is bigger than our our city and state and country. Like that's what they're—you know—I'm just that's their talking point. Regardless. Here's the one thing I want everyone to hear. This is very serious. VR is really cool. All right. All right. You should at least try it. I want to recommend Tetris VR first, right? And then if you can stomach it, Resident Evil VR is insane. Well, Delmar has recommended all radar video games now, and you can (laughs) go get that. Hey, uh, we want your opinion. We're going to talk about this in the Facebook group. What's your opinion on this metaverse church of VR stuff? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into our main discussion. Hey, we uh, are about to hear from Emily Gould. Emily is the kids director over at Epicos Church, which happens to be my church. We talk about spiritual formation with kids, um, making sure the kids ministry is not seen as childcare in your church, and have a great discussion, uh, which is not just for kids ministry, but for everybody, how to get volunteers, how to um, uh, 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 retain volunteers, and how to make sure you appreciate those volunteers. Here's Emily Gould. All right, I am here with Emily Gould, and I know this is a bit self-serving because I have these interviews with these amazing people, and and last week and this week, all the amazing people I know are also the people I work with. But Emily is someone very special to me because when I was a youth pastor here, at uh, at Epicos Church, um, she was one of the people I was able to get on my volunteer team, and I was able to. to she was able to be one of my volunteer leaders, and uh, and when the children's ministry position opened at my church, I reached out to her, and she accepted. And so I'm like, 
I think I'm like three for three in like hiring people at different jobs at my recommendation. And so Emily is probably one of my favorites and she's one of my favorite kids people in the whole wide world. She crushes it. And so Emily, thank you for being here. Thanks, Frank. You really pumped my tires real good there. (laughs) Good. Emily, uh, introduce yourself. Tell us about your role, kind of what you do here at Epicos and anything else we should know about you. Absolutely. Um, As Frank said, my name is Emily Gould. I am the Children's Ministry Director at Epicos. Um, So I oversee three right now. We usually have four staff members across all of our different campuses. Um, My main roles are training, equipping, and supporting my staff, uh, casting vision for our children's ministry at Epicos, and then ensuring that that vision is implemented across all of our campuses uh, really consistently and predictably. Um, I'm currently nearing the end of a master's program through Bethel Seminary. Um, I'll be earning a a master's in children and family ministry. And that has been uh, just a wonderful experience of getting to learn how to do ministry and then do ministry simultaneously. Um, It's been really great to just soak all of that up and then have a place to be able to put it and a place to really be able to practice it on a weekly basis. Um, It's a pretty unique program too. I get to take a ministry class and a Bible or theology class simultaneously. So we're equipped in the same way that any other pastor or ministry leader would be. So children's ministry is is seen as such an important and integral piece of the church. Um, So I'm really grateful for the ways that I have grown biblically and theologically, um, as well as just in my understanding of how children's ministry works. So um, for the sake of context, so people can understand what we're talking about here, and so correct me if I'm wrong, um, you said that you, you, you oversee three staff, and we are a church that has four physical locations, and so right now we have three staff at three of our four locations, but you are over all of children's ministry, over all four campuses, but practically speaking, you also see yourself physically present at specific campuses where they need um, more attention or more help also because we're a little bit short staffed. Is that, is that a correct way to explain it? Yep. Totally accurate. Um, so in, in my, my dream world, once we are fully staffed, I will be able to go to every single campus at least once a month uh, just to get to support my coordinators, give them feedback on how they're teaching and leading, uh, be able to connect with families and kids there. Um, I sat in our coordinator role just at our West Dallas campus before I moved into my director role. So I have a pretty good understanding of what the Sunday morning workings are like. Um, Our West Dallas campus is a little bit larger, too, than some of our other campuses. Um, So, yeah, my my hope and my goal is just to get to be as helpful and supportive to my staff and to our families as I can. Um, But for right now, I kind of wear two hats Um, during the week. I'm the director. And then on the weekend, I've been our east side coordinator. For the time being. And, and again, for, for context, I, so the director role is you oversee the global vision and mission for the kids ministry across all four campuses to make sure that like um, every, campus is, every campus is doing the same curriculum, the kind of the same process and, and policies for onboarding volunteers and developing volunteers, and then the kids are being discipled across all four campuses. But a coordinator role is like the specific individual who is at the particular campus, who's at, who's probably doing a lot of the hands-on, one-on-one working with the volunteers, and in many ways is working directly with the families and the children at the campus. Is that a correct way of explaining the difference between a director and a coordinator? Yep, absolutely, Frank. Yeah, you got it. 
Sweet, sweet. Good. I just completely guessed that because I've never asked you that question before. So <laughs> I'm glad I got it right. Um, so we often say that because, and I know I said this when I was in student ministry, is that we do not do child care. And that's so incredibly important because, A, I think some of our congregants see children's ministry and, and youth ministry as child care. It's like, let me get my kid away from me while I can go to this service mm-hmm. type of thing. But uh, but we often say, and we're very, you know, we I, I know you defend this point as much as I did when I was a youth pastor, that we do not do child care. And whenever the church, you know, sometimes, you know, whether, it, you know, we're having a, a, a special event and they say, hey, kids, people, give us some child care. We're always like, no, 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 no. We don't do child care. So, so let me ask this question. As, as the kids ministry director, what does kids ministry look like at Epicos that elevates the worship and spiritual formation in children and not just be childcare for parents mm-hmm. to worship? Yeah, that's such a good question, Frank. Definitely something that I'm really passionate about too. I think that we often just don't give children enough credit when it comes to understanding and experiencing God. Um, and something that I just continually remind myself is that the same Holy Spirit that dwells in and equips and gifts you and me and all of our other adult believers is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in, equips, and gifts our children. And they have attributes and gifts and talents that can be really, really beneficial for the church. Um, so to just have childcare on Sundays, I think, would not be honoring to what God wants to do and how he wants to work and grow in the tiny hearts of these kiddos who can have a really, really big faith. Um, the, there's more and more research that are, that's coming out in early childhood. That's telling us that children develop an understanding and an image of God between the ages of two and three. So this image, um, or initial understanding acts as the formation or the foundation for the rest of what their faith will stand on. So their image of God might develop or it might change over time, but those initial understandings are so, so formative. So for us as ministry leaders, it's our job to really steward the image of God well. Uh, And we need to offer our children a biblically accurate understanding of who God is and then empower our parents and our families to help this image grow and develop over time. Um, So were we to just be childcare upstairs, you know, until a child is in elementary school or until we deem them as age appropriate in order to understand who God is, I think we would really miss out and do a disservice to our children in helping them um, to interact with and grow and experience God in their own way. Um, so part of part of this is helping our families understand what we're doing weekly. Um, during church from home during the pandemic, this was a big, big help for us. So for the first time, parents had eyes into our classrooms just through the videos that we were sharing online, and they could see and experience what their children were learning each week. And we had parents have questions about that too, because um, they had no understanding. They would just drop their kids off and go downstairs and wouldn't even wonder what was happening. Um, so for the first time, parents were actually able to participate in that. Um, From a programming perspective, we begin our programming in our one-year-old classroom. Um, So we are just introducing some really basic topics. We explore the wonder of God, who God is, why he made us, why he loves us. Uh, We are teaching Bible verses. We're introducing them to worship. And our one-year-olds are fully capable of memorizing, doing hand motions with their Bible, uh, Bible memory verses. They are just amazing. Um, In elementary, we focus more on God's plan for humanity and how we fit into that. Um, Each age group has worship time, they have a Bible story, and they have a time of personal application as well. 
Um, something unique in our elementary classroom, too, is a worship as response time. This is something that we have adopted from True's curriculum. Uh, and this is a, a quiet time of reflection where children can choose to participate in one of four worship response stations. And that's really time for the Holy Spirit to move. So they get to just sit and pray or write or draw and um, just take whatever's on their heart to the Lord and really begin to instill that practice in them. Um, but we're just trying to create space. We just want to create space on a Sunday for God to be able to move and to work. Um, we teach the Bible chronologically, so we try to give our, our kids an understanding of Scripture and how to orient themselves in it, and then uh, want to partner with our families in the best way possible to continue those conversations at home. I know that there is um, senior pastors and associate pastors that listen to this podcast. There's a good number of youth pastors. I'm not too sure how many kids, uh, pastors and directors listen to our podcast, but one thing that I know when I was a youth pastor, that the biggest... Um, advantage I had as a youth pastor is a great children's ministry is that when you are graduating children who, like you said, have already oriented themselves around scripture, who know some basics and foundations that you you, you don't have to kind of start from the beginning. It, it, it's so helpful and it's so encouraging. And I think when you have children's ministry, they're basically just childcare. Um, you, you, you've kind of, um, you've punted a lot of opportunity for, you know, up to fifth grade, sometimes up to sixth grade that could have been very formative in the life of that kid. Um, and, and it's just been great. Like, I love how in our kids ministry, they're, they're going to the Bible chronologically. They're having these meaningful spiritual formating formation moments in the, in the services. And, and, you know, I'm sure you you agree with me on this is sometimes, especially at Epicos, we are either coming alongside parents, uh, kind of reinforcing what they're already getting at home, or sometimes we are doing for parents what ought to be done at home because they're not getting any kind of spiritual formation at home. And so so we are the only spiritual influence sometimes in the lives of these kids. And so it's so very important that we don't kind of punt these opportunities and um, and miss a, a chance to be able to show these kids the love of Jesus mm -hmm. and how the Holy Spirit's working in their lives. It's awesome. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, a qu another question I have is, how do you create a kid's ministry that feels like it's part of the church and not just a thing that the kid, that the church does, right? Mm -hmm. what, you know, uh, we've talked about in this podcast a couple of times that Epicos is a simple church. And so mm -hmm. simple church means that we focus primarily on small groups, the worship service, and the message. Um, but there are a couple of things that we have added onto it as necessity and youth and children is one of those necessities. Mm -hmm. But I feel like if we're not careful, and I think this is very much driven by leadership in the kids ministry and in the youth ministry, that if it's not careful, um, the kids ministry and the student ministry can be seen as just something the church does on the side and not an integral part because of the focus, the singular focus on the service and small groups. How do how do you specifically at Epicos, but how can a church make sure that kids ministry is integral in the part of the entire thing that the church is doing? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's a really good question, Frank. I think it's easy to just assume that children's ministry is separate and happens across the building. And if I am a congregant who doesn't have kids or don't like kids or don't, you know, spend any time thinking about that, it's really easy to, to not think that they're even there. 
Uh, but the reality is we have a whole church either upstairs or down the hall or in the basement, wherever your children's ministry is located. Um, I mean, you can have 50 to 100 kids every single week, and they will one day grow up and become hopefully adult believers and part of another congregation. So just being able to see the the replication and multiplication that that can point to, I think is tremendously valuable and important. Um, so it's a question that I often ask myself in our church context is, how can I provide eyes into our children's ministry without disrupting the programming of our children's ministry? Um, I definitely, I have a heart of wanting our congregants to know and to see what's going on in our ministry on a Sunday morning, but I don't want to do it at the expense of our kids, or I don't want to disrupt them or make them feel uncomfortable. Um, So something that we used to do is take kids into service to do like a Christmas song during Christmas. But if you have ever tried to like corral 75 to 100 kids, take them downstairs put them on a stage where they don't want to be in front of parents that they were, you know, don't want to leave again, it can just, it's just not a fun experience for anybody. Um, So because of this, we've been leaning a little bit more into video and social media assets and um, allowing our kids to continue in their normal programming, but capturing that for our adult congregants and then being able to weave that into um, videos or media that we're showing on a Sunday or stuff that we're showing throughout the week as well, too. Um, So how can we just a, provide eyes into what we're doing. How can we help our congregants just see what's happening? And then B, how can we create some opportunities for them to want to be part of that? Because um, if we were just thinking of children's ministry as childcare, you probably have a whole group of people who are like, oh, no, no, I'm not doing that. But then you might have another group of people where if you're like, yeah, we're teaching the Bible every single week, they're like, oh, I could do that. Um, so just making that feel like a doable and realistic um, thing I think is super valuable. Um, uh, another thing that we do too, to really kind of bridge this gap is worship together weekends. Um, so five times a year, our elementary students are invited to worship with their families in big church. Um, and this is just a chance for families to get to model what worship looks like for their children. Um, and it really helps to bridge that eventual gap from children's ministry to student ministry, and then into adulthood where students are determining on their own, whether they want to go to church or not. Um, And it's a lot easier to know that when you know what to expect. So if you are someone who grows up um, with an understanding of what happens in big church, as we call it, then you're more likely to choose that as an adult. Um, And it also empowers our families to get to really model for their kids what it looks like to worship and and how they get to live that out. So um, just making sure that our elementary students feel like contributing, participating members of our church congregation and just offering them moments to get to be together, I think is really impactful. Um, And then lastly, we do some service initiatives too at our different campuses. We have um, just different opportunities for our families and students to get involved in. So at our West Dallas campus, we're currently collecting gift cards for a local elementary school. And we have Um, trees that have, you know, ornament tags on them in our lobby. And then we also put one in our kids wing as well. Um, So our families would take an ornament, would go purchase a gift card, and then would bring it back. Um, And even today, I was um, collecting our donations with our wonderful finance gal. And um, I saw so many gift cards that had cards that kids had written or pictures that they had drawn because they wanted to be involved in what the church was doing and how they were collecting um, gift cards for this school. So just offering them opportunities to get to be involved and then pointing those out and and seeing how they are contributing members, um, I think is just a huge way that we can help them feel like they are part of the bigger church. That's so awesome. I, I love the um, the idea of 
getting eyes in the space without being disruptive. Mm. And that just takes creativity and thinking through what can we do? Obviously there's probably some back end stuff like thinking through if you're going to take photos, you have to get permission mm-hmm. of taking those photos. I know like we have some foster, um, you know, foster kids uh, that may or may not be able to be able to take photos from. There's some logistics you got to think through, but mm-hmm. being able to get eyes in there so that the rest of the church can see what's going on. And, and I love like, our kids ministry is very forward in saying that we're talking about Jesus in the kids Mm -hmm. ministry. We -hmm. are not, you know, it's not that like, I I know you and I have personally talked about some cutesy stuff that we would love to see the kids ministry. Mm -hmm. We would love to see some indoor slides. We would love to see some (laughs) like really fun things, but, but, but we are very gospel forward Mm -hmm. and, and Bible forward when it comes to our kids ministry. And, uh, and that's what we want to be known for. And that's what we're trying to project, not just project, but like, we believe that's what we are. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, let's talk about something that I think is not only valuable for people who work in kids ministry, but it's across the board in the church, the conversation of volunteers. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants more of them. Everyone needs more of them. And I know in, in a church our size, with the complexity of um, having multiple campuses and campuses needing volunteers for different reasons, everyone wants to know how to get them, how to onboard them, how to train them. And uh, I know you have a particular, uh, would you say a passion for this conversation or or maybe just a natural gifting of it or whatever, but I would love for you to share more about what you, how you see policies and procedures when it comes to onboard, onboarding and, and, and training volunteers. Yeah, absolutely. So as, a, as an Enneagram 6, I am very passionate about safety and security um, and structures really lend themselves to this. So I naturally gravitate towards um, just things that have a clear process and a clear structure because I, I like to know exactly what to expect. Um, and I think both being a volunteer, as you had mentioned, me being a volunteer in your ministry, and then coming in to this setting and onboarding volunteers, um, just the the need for clarity and just an ease of knowing what comes next and what that process is, um, just can make that onboarding, you know, recruitment, onboarding and retainment process so much easier. Um, so I think the biggest thing is just having a clear process from point A to point B. So what does it look like from when a volunteer says, hey, I might be interested in this to them actually, you know, filling out your serving commitment or being scheduled on the team to serve on a regular basis. If you don't know what that process is, then it's very confusing for everybody. And no one really wants to start or come into something that feels confusing or messy. Um, so the clear that you can make that with really clear and consistent communication uh, just bodes very, very well. Um, so we make sure across our our larger campus or just our, you know, the four campuses that we have that our process is consistent for every everywhere. Um, so we have had volunteers that may have started at our West Dallas campus and then they move over to our Mayfair campus. And we want to make sure that the way that we operate and the process that we take is the same so that they know exactly what to expect. Um, so we have, I call them canned responses. So we have an email document that all of our coordinators use um, where we have written out what every step of communication of onboarding any volunteer looks like. So before they, you know, after they fill out their serving interest form, this is the blurb that we send them. Before they come to shadow, this is the blurb that we send them. Um, so that way we make sure that everyone is getting the same information at the same time and no, nobody gets missed and nothing falls through the, gra- the cracks. Um, And then we also offer shadowing dates too. I think um, part of our job in ministry is just helping 
people find out what it looks like to serve and where where their gifts can be best utilized. And sometimes we don't know that until we're there and we're actually doing it. Um, and for any of you who work in children's ministry, I you may feel this, that you don't ever want someone to come in and then have signed their life away. And then they're working with kids and they're like, I have made a great mistake and I hate this. Um, so we try to just offer a lot of on and off ramps throughout our onboarding process for volunteers who may be figuring that out. Um, so if someone says that they're interested in serving, we have them fill out a form, we do a background check, and then we invite them to come shadow twice in two different classrooms on two different Sundays. Um, so maybe they'll say, I really want to be in the threes through 5k room. And then they come and they're like, I really don't want to be in the threes through 5k room. Um, but then they try elementary and they're like, oh, this is my spot. These are my people. Um, and, and on the flip side of that, we have people who come and they say, I don't think children's ministry is for me. Then we can say, great. Thank you for coming to visit. I hope that you can share your experience with, with other people that you interact with. Let me connect you to Laura who can talk to you about serving on connections. And, and we can really just help to disciple our people in our church to really find the best place for them to serve. Um, and then we know that the people who are committing are the people who really do want to be serving on our team as well, too. Um, and then following those shadow dates, we'll meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. We'll walk them through what our team commitments look like and still give them a few days to process that and to prayerfully consider if this is the right place for them. And then once they say, yes, I'm on your team, um, then we get to send them some training videos. So we use Serve HQ now, and we have scripted and filmed and produced all of our own training videos for our volunteers across all of our campuses. Um, and they can complete this whenever. So in the past, we have done like yearly training events in the fall, but then we would have new volunteers who would come in like December or January or February, and they would miss that training. Um, so putting it online has been super helpful as new volunteers have joined our team to make sure that they are equipped and informed in the same way that all of our other volunteers are as well, too. Um, so we give them just a basic ins and out of a Sunday morning, how to just make sure kids go home with the right families training. Um, we get we do a second tier training um, all about curriculum and how to teach the different parts of that. And then we do a third aspect, which is all on um, just being able to identify any abuse allegations um, or child neglect, um, as well as ways to just protect our volunteers and our church from any allegations of sexual abuse as well, too. So um, some of that harder stuff that you have to deal with in education when you work with a more vulnerable population, um, but really helpful because over communication is always better and our volunteers always want to feel equipped and prepared. Um, and then, so we've gotten them in the door, right? And now we have to keep them. And I think retention is so linked to appreciation. Um, and we have just committed to putting a lot of our children's ministry budget to this. So rather than, than putting on big kid events, we would rather put on big volunteer events. Um, so just making sure that we are loving our volunteers. We feed them regularly. We um, do thoughtful Christmas gifts for them every year. We do summer gatherings. Um, ultimately, when you are a person who feels noticed and known and appreciated, you feel connected to the church. And that's, I think, where discipleship can really happen. Um, and then you can avoid burnout and um, you, you'll want to keep coming back and want to keep growing. And it makes those, hey, I need one more person this Sunday ask a little bit easier when those people know that they are really valued and really appreciated. Um, but yeah, it's hard. Volunteers are hard, but ultimately we're here to just make more and better disciples and our process of serving um, should look like that. And something that I always remind myself too is we do ministry, but we don't do ministry at the expense of our volunteers. Um, so just making sure that we are doing it in a healthy way and really caring for 
who they are as people rather than just as bodies in a classroom or, you know, they're able to just make my the cogs in my machine go every week, but they are a really integral and important uh, factor in what we're doing here at our church. I want to make sure that the folks who are listening hear what Emily says, because it, first off, retention is linked to appreciation. So good. That's like the quote of the podcast right there. I love that because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not just about getting the volunteers, but keeping the volunteers. And when volunteers feel like they're, they're appreciated for what they do and not just, you know, be, you know, free labor, then mm-hmm. they want to stick around. But, you know, uh, one fear that I always have whenever we talked about when, and, and I think, I think you're in a, you're in a kids ministry network with other churches of a variety of different backgrounds. And I think, I, I think you, you probably have the same kind of insecurity. I do that whenever we talk about what we do at our church, we, I don't want to come off as like, oh yeah, we're the big mega church with all this money and we're doing all this mm-hmm. stuff. First off, we are a big church. We don't have that much money. So <laughs> let's, nope. let's make sure that's clear. But, uh, but you know, you might hear stuff like, oh, they have all these videos and, and, and they have all these different, you know, they have three paid staff members outside mm-hmm. of the main person. Like, and this feels like this is mega church talk. There's one thing that Emily said that is not mega church talk. And I hope you hear it is, Make sure there's clarity in every step of the process. Whether you are a church of 50 or a church of 5,000, when you're onboarding volunteers or when you're recruiting volunteers, don't leave any mystery in this. Make sure that everyone knows what is expected of them. Make sure that it's clear of like, if you expect them to serve every week or every other week, that's clear before they sign up. Mm -hmm. Like these are things that, is so crucial when it comes to recruiting and and keeping volunteers is that there's consistency in communication because probably what brings frustration with a lot of volunteers is unmet expectations on both sides. Unmet mm-hmm. expectations from the church or the volunteer or unmet expectations from what the volunteer had for the role they're serving at. And I love what Emily's saying is like, you know, when Emily took this position, Epicus had been a church of three locations already for about, I don't know, 12 years then at that point, maybe, maybe, maybe a little more, a little less, but uh, there were still some expectations that needed to be clarified and needed to be expressed better um, in order for it to be more sustainable when we got to that fourth location. And so uh, I, I want to make sure that's, that's clear. This is not mega church talk. This is good volunteer talk is communicate, communicate. Like, like Emily said just now, you cannot over communicate this expectations. It's so important. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. That's such a good distinction. I mean, even like before our volunteers come to shadow, we send them an email that says like, Hey, I'm going to meet you at this store. I'm going to have your shadow name tag, wear these types of shoes. You know, you're going to be shadowing this person in this classroom for the first, for the first service. And then this person for the second service. And just the more information that you can give, I think helps everybody feel like, okay, I can do this. And, and it can, it's, it's a really brave step that they have to take to, you know, stepping outside of their normal Sunday routine, coming into a ministry with people that they've never met before, doing something that they may have no experience ever doing. So the easier that you can make that um, and the more comfortable that you can make that, then the, the more they'll be able to see themselves in there and staying there. Um, and you will just start to build that relationship right from the start. So I think that's incredibly important. Emily, this is so good. How can people get in contact with you if they have questions and they want to reach out? 
Yeah, absolutely. I am. I love to share everything that we have made. I'd be happy to walk you through what our volunteer onboarding process looks like. We use Planning Center and Workflow in there, and that has been a great tool. So please, I would I would love to talk with you and get to share just the what little I know with you and hope that it can help. Um, my email is emily at epicos.org. Um, I'm sure Frank can put that in the notes for you. And um, so you're welcome to shoot me an email and you can contact Frank as well too. And he can share my phone number and I'm always happy to connect. Well, you got it. Emily at epicos.org. That will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, Emily, for giving me some of your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. Hey, we are back, and uh, if you want to reach out to Emily, her email is emily at epicos.org. Email is in the show notes. She would love to chat with you more about her kids' ministry and what they're doing here at Epicos and uh, answer any of your questions. Guys, we, we've we talked about the metaverse. We've talked about uh, kids' ministry. Um, the last thing we got to talk about is remind everyone about the Pridely Pastoring Conference. It's going to be a great time, February 21st to the 23rd in Tarpon Springs, Florida, but what is not going to be a good time, or I guess it will be a good time, is that we're going to take a break for two weeks. We're going to we're gonna take Christmas and New Year's off, enjoy time with our family. You guys have any special plans this Christmas, or are you just staying at home? My wife is going to Arkansas with one of my kids, so I'm going to be single parenting with three little boys from the 27th to New Year's Eve, so be praying for me. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I'll be in Florida. Um, we are having the, uh, service for my father-in-law while we're down there at Tim's church, actually. And then, um, be hanging out until probably, we'll probably come back on like right before, I think January 2nd is the next Sunday. So we'll come back before that. So I can start the next sermon series. Yeah. Um, well, we're getting ready for, I hope the weather holds out. I hope it stays a little chilly personally. But when it comes to Christmas, I'm taking off the week between Christmas and New Year's, and we're planning on loading the kids up into a car and driving north until we find snow, because none of my kids have a reference point for snow. So we want to give them that for a Christmas present. Bro, Just find a ski place. Find what, How far is Sugar Mountain from you guys? And yeah, kids, don't know if it's not, kids don't know if it's not real snow. Yeah. It's fine. The, oh, the and you said that earlier, but Andrew, I got to say, like the the fake snow at a snow resort is at a ski resort is way better than the fake snow that they have in Florida outdoor malls. Well, yeah, the dog, because that's that's soap. Yeah, it's but gross. We, <laughs> we pull and those ski resorts, they're so big that you know seeing a couple of people like having a snowball fight it cost us nothing we spent hours there yeah. and did yeah. not spend a dime. So yeah, you just go hang out in the lodge, maybe get a coffee. Get get some it's hot great. chocolate. Watch them snowboarders bite it. it it's great. It's a <laughs> great time. They have tubing hills all over too, Dell. Tubing hills are they, pretty fun. Those are those are not free. super dangerously awesome. They're really fun. Yeah, we could not find yeah. any tubing hills in Michigan. It made my heart sad. Well, we're going to be off for two weeks, and then uh, sometime in that two weeks, there, there's a chance. Don't quote me on this, but there's a chance that we might have a Facebook Live in the Facebook group with the five of us just connecting during the break. But we'll be back in January. We hope you guys stay safe and have a great Christmas and New Year's. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I am Andrew Larson. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye. 
Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.